Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 104, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. Follow my work for BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of TheDraftNetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Michael, every day is a good day to be alive. Good day. Thank you for asking. Yes. Man, welcome to July. Ready for some freaking training camp, brother. I know. In general, yeah, no, no, no. Everything is very well, thank God. Happy camper back from vacation, which was a tremendous blessing, was greatly needed. That exact sweet spot of length in terms of I got good relaxation in and I did not reach, you know, the Chandrasekhar limit, the critical mass of hating my entire family. Like, just perfect right at the sweet spot. Just loving everybody, getting rest, and then leaving. Perfect. That's awesome. So how is your July going other than that? Because now that you're back from vacation and everything like that, you got to be finding a way to get through this offseason somehow. And, and of course, you know, today we, we, we got a fresh topic for you. We're going to be talking about prop bets for Eagles production across the board, offense and defense. But before we get to that, like, how are you, Ben, getting through this quote unquote dead period? What are you watching? I mean, keep it keep it football related. Of course, I know you're listening to a lot of podcasts. You're doing a lot of things like that. But like, what, yeah. what are you really focusing on with football? Okay, yeah, football focus. I was about to say what I'm watching is my dog every time she looks like she's about to pee in my house again. But uh, when it comes to football specifics. Yeah. No, so I'm in a ton of different college football units right now for some of the work that I do with the Draft Network. And so just got out of the Michigan State defense, which is a tremendous unit, uh, which I I said this on a previous, on a Lockdown NFL Draft podcast. They all play like they haven't been fed, man. They're all psychos. They just, they there's a, a tremendous amount of hustle on that defense, which is really cool to see. Michigan State's going to be good this year. I, I, I do firmly believe that. I've cycled through some of the other major defenses in college football as well. Offensively, I, I watched the the Stanford offense, the Arizona offense. I've been doing a little bit more of my Pac-12 stuff. Still think J.J. Taylor, running back for Arizona, is a very exciting player. He's in that Boston Scott Tariq Cohen mold. NFL-wise, uh, I'm actually stepping into the Rams offense because yeah. I'm preparing to formalize in a written form my Jared Goff take my opinion on Jared Goff, which is yet undefined because I haven't done the film work necessarily want to do on him. But this in large part because can't wait. I think from what I've seen, Carson Wentz is a better player. Um yeah. but Jared Goff is a really just generally fascinating player because of what he is 
outside of Sean McVay's scheme and kind of what we can understand uh, 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 about divorcing quarterback talent from play calling talent, which I think is like a really tricky, uh, delicate, fascinating topic that we're going to need to pay more attention to in the upcoming years as offensive designers get better. The spread offense continues to to grow and to proliferate. And let's never forget, like, the spread offense. When we say, like, how the spread offense came to be, right? Like, Urban Meyer, considered one of the grandfathers of the spread, right? Yeah. He had, he he, he needed, a, a, he, the horizontal stretch spread was kind of, he stretched the field horizontally. And it was all about getting his athletes the ball in space. It was all about just making sure that his most, most athletic players, the most dynamic players, touched the football. So it's easiest to just get them those in short passes, give them the football, let them do work. Okay. The side effect of that, the the unintended kind of repercussion there was it made life so much easier on quarterbacks. And that's why the spread became really popular in college is because you do not have the quarterback talent at college that you do in the NFL. Right. Well, as the spread now leaks into the NFL, the trickle up phenomenon, you're not going to need as good of quarterback talent to win, or at least have a successful offense, I should say, right. as you did 10, 15 years ago, that, that's going to change how we evaluate college quarterbacks. And that's going to change how we value them. Because now I think the floor, the baseline is dropping. It's a little bit lower. And so yeah. that's where I am. That's what I'm watching and going through right now. I do want to go through and chart Eagles offense before the uh, 2019 season begins. Because, you know, we have some good resources now on the Eagles play designs. We have multiple years, so on and so forth. It's just a question of whether or not I'll get the time to do it. Yeah. So that's what I am right now. No, that's interesting. And and of course, you know, we're, we're going to continue our eye on the enemy series before we get into training camp. We'll hit up the Rams. We'll hit up some major teams in the in the NFC. But I think that's a great point that you bring up. The systems that are coming into the pros, maybe propping up is harsh for some of these quarterbacks. But I do feel like there's some of that. And with golf, especially inside of McVay's system, I mean, I was looking through Pro Football Focus's QB annual for 2019. And then I manually kind of plugged in these numbers for each quarterback. And what it showed me was that Jared Goff was at 2% for throws from a scramble, which was lowest in the league. So he really is not a move around type of guy. If it's there, it's there. If McVay dials it up, then then Goff can execute and he can make some pretty throws and all that stuff. I think it's when things break down, pressure mounts up, uh, Schwartz lean towards blitzing him as I've mentioned before six out of six times on third and five or less and it worked so interested to find out what you find in your research and of course I'll be digging into it some more as well I mean on my end what I've been doing and I I have so much trouble with this because I start a project for instance I I just kind of wanted to see some of the blitz packages that Jim Schwartz has thrown together and maybe about 20 hours of work later I'm finally able to complete a piece for bleedinggreennation.com it's up there right now talking about Jim Schwartz on third down when he blitzes why he blitzes his philosophy I used some clips from his cool clinic back in 2015 which is an offensive line clinic where he talks about how he develops his rush plan uh, based on what the offense is doing QB launch points everything like that so that's some of what I was doing last night I wanted to watch some of the best games of 2018 oh yeah one of the first games I put in was the week 14 game of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. I was like, okay, I'm just going to run through this condensed, you know, it's 36 minutes, bell to bell. It'll be fine. It took me three 
hours, Ben. Within the third play, I see Kansas City run like mesh out, snag with double wheels. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've seen this from the Eagles before. Hello. So, so then I'm pulling clips from that. And then I see this crazy blitz package from uh, from Martindale, their defensive coordinator with the Ravens. And I'm like, oh, let me look into this. Let me, let me dive into this. Let me look up all the different variations of mesh that ever existed. And also let me look at some fire zone blitzes and, and simulated pressures and like all this stuff. So a ton of rabbit holes that I've gone down. So I'm not necessarily like right now looking for anything specific, but I wanted to watch Baker. I've watched a lot of Baker recently. I wanted to watch Mahomes. And let me tell you, and I know this is a lot of, yeah, no duh. Mahomes is crazy special, dude. Just, just, just watch him, watch one of his games again, and you'll fall right back in love with watching Mahomes. I cannot wait for the football season to see those two guys specifically. And also Carson Wentz, because we're going to talk about the Eagles today, Ben. We're going to be talking about prop bets. So let's get to the main topic. Why would we talk about the Eagles on this <laughs> podcast? I have no clue. It's been a hot second since we have. Yeah, it really has. I mean, we've had the Eye on the Enemy series that we've done a lot. And, you know, recently I had on Elliot Chris to talk about fantasy stuff, and we delved into a lot of the Eagles stuff there. But we've also been talking about some analytical stuff with Sports Info Solutions. But let's really dig into the Eagles on this one. So here's what we did. Uh, Mike Clay from ESPN, every year he does big his ups, projections. Mike. Yeah, big ups to him. He does great work. Uh, but every year he does his projections and he gives full box score stat lines for both offense and defense. So for our prop bets today, we're going to kind of loosely go off him. So let's start with the quarterback position. And this one is is pretty interesting to me. So he has Carson Wentz throwing for 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, over 4,000 yards, 66 completion percentage and whatnot. And we'll get to exactly what prop bet we're going to be talking about here in a second. But I, I, as I was thinking about this one, there's some different layers to it. So with Wentz kind of projecting him forward, his big time throw percentage in the red zone last year dropped from 10.2% to 3.4%. What's big time throw again? Yeah, and that's actually what I was going to hit up next. Let me qualify what big time throw is. As PFF defines it as one of the highest end of both difficulty and value for throws. So they say it's best described as a pass with excellent ball location and timing, generally thrown further down the field and or into a tighter window. And the stats on big time throws, when you complete them, they're they're astronomical compared to like other throws. So it's a, it's a very important okay. thing if you're looking for an explosive offense. So what you saw from Wentz in the red zone, the big time throws dropped over more than half, right? Closer to his rookie season, like I said. On third down, Again, in half, 12.1% to 5.4%. So what I find interesting is the part about more plays not happening because he wasn't as mobile, right? And, and that's a big talking point. And yeah, it, it's great that Carson has the brace off. He looks more comfortable. He's going to be more dynamic in his movements. But when you look at that same metric, that big time throw percentage, that percentage for Wentz didn't really change from season to season under pressure or even when holding the ball for more than 2.6 seconds. It changed on throws under 2.6 seconds, right, from 5% mm -hmm. to 2.2% overall. I think that changes with Deshaun Jackson in this offense. And if we see strides from Micro and, yes, Doug Peterson, in coming into games with better scripting, 
You've got healthier weapons. The cupboard is full. You better reactive play calling and not in like the Bill Walsh sense of it, but in the sense of taking advantage of trends throughout the game as they develop, the different matchups that develop, the coverages, the things that you see. I think that's something that the Eagles were better at in 2017 and 2018. So I don't think it's all about the legs for Carson because I don't think people realize. And, and everybody I've talked to in the analytical world with player tracking data have backed this up. Guys like Carson Wentz, and I'll even throw in Cam Newton as another example because he's seen as a scrambler when most of his rush yards come on design runs. Those two quarterbacks typically aren't throw on the run guys. They're very stationary quarterbacks and you chart out their launch points and they're between the hashes and right around the top of their drop, the vast majority of their throws. Same for 2017 with Wentz. So yes, well, I myself had written about a possible touchdown rate regression before the 2018 season while invoking the mobility. Well, he argument. was at like 7.5 touchdown percentage. Just so. natural. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regression in the mean. Right. So mobility was a small piece of that argument for me. I don't think it's the only thing. And I think Carson wins more from the pocket this year on downfield shots. I think he again ranks in top 10 for next-gen stats aggressiveness metric. And if I'm betting on it, then I'm betting on the over for 31 touchdowns. Ben, your take on that. So a couple of things. First and foremostly, I struggle with when Carson ranks high in the aggressiveness metrics because he's got some highlight reel plays where he hits some really cool tight window throws, right? And I acknowledge that. Like, I'm thinking about, like, that one Jordan Matthews pass, his first ever game against Cleveland. He had another, like, middle-of-the-field throw. It might have been to Jordan Matthews again, just his, you know, second stint with Philadelphia. Yeah. But generally, off of my anecdotal film viewing, you know, no, no, no data here. A lot of Carson Wentz's tight window throws are just one read RPO concepts where he's just hitting a window, right? And like, I would qualify them as tight window throws, but it's not like Carson's choosing to attack a tight window because he's like, all right, I can make this throw. You know what I mean? I have great ball placement. I have great velocity. I can hit this. Usually it's no, like I'm going to freeze this defender for half a second and then throw it right off his back. And that space is enough with a guy with Carson's arm strength and with the way the Eagles like to run their offense to pick up six yards and to move forward. Right. And so that's fair. I don't, yeah. So I, I think that that's an important point when we're trying to categorize the degree to which Carson is aggressive and the degree to which Carson is, is an attacking thrower. You said, data-wise, he's viewed as a typically stationary thrower, right? Like Carson right. is not a guy who throws on the move. And I think that that's, that's, that's an important point because, and this was a complaint that I had about Carson Wentz coming into the 2017. Is, is that the point where we like saw him in the preseason? We saw him reset himself in the pocket, ready to throw, like those mechanics improved markedly. Like we're talking about mobility yeah. Yeah, yeah, in two yeah, different yeah, yeah. ways. There's two different ways to think about that, right? Exactly. There's two different ways. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's, there's, it's like there's strong ties and there's weak ties and like social, you know, networking theory. There's, strong movements and weak movements there's big movements and there's small movements there's escaping the pocket and escaping pressure and adjusting in the pocket and adjusting to pressure right right and if you ever if you want to understand what this looks like you watch tom brady tom brady never escapes the pocket but he is the best quarterback i've ever seen and currently in the league in terms of making small adjustments inside of the pocket such that if you think about as an offensive lineman like you you you're pass blocking sets the angles you take where you put your body is predicated off the quarterback being at a certain spot in the pocket being in a physical place on the xy plane like he's going to be here you know he's always going to be like 2.5 yards behind me and to the right you know when there's pressure very frequently it's because a quarterback doesn't manage the pocket well he relocates off of his spot and thereby rushers who can see the quarterback now have a different 
point they're trying to get to, a different aiming point, then the offensive tackles think they have to protect because the quarterback has moved, right? And so when we talk about small adjustments, Brady is really good at making small adjustments in the pocket, such as to keep his offensive linemen between him and the rushers. So he doesn't expose his offensive linemen by giving edge rushers better angles. He stays very comfortably on his spot, makes those small little adjustments. And and one of my complaints with Carson was, Carson was a big escape guy. He was not a small adjustment guy. He's gotten better there. But even then, the big escapes, you can escape and then stop your feet, reset, and throw. And that's what Carson does a lot, is that Carson will get outside of the pocket. But he won't necessarily throw on the move. He will stop his feet, plant, and throw. And so that's, that's, that's my thought there. It's something we, we thought he was improved upon. Then obviously last year, mobility in general took a hit. Uh, so that's going to be a fascinating thing to see is the degree to which Carson has escapability and the degree to which he can make those small adjustments, right? Adjustmentability inside the pocket. <laughs> Last but not least, and this is the one that's very interesting to me. On the clay projections, he has Carson playing 15 games, which is fair. Cute. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, like... I think it's funny he built an injury and, like, did it for one game. So he's, like, kind of hedging both ways. Like, yeah, he's well, going to be so mostly... It, it's, it's the reality it's of, fair. like, statistically, statistically speaking, right. If yeah. you say there's, like, you know, a 10% chance that Carson Wentz gets injured halfway through the season, misses the rest of the season... It's 1.6 games. 10% chance of playing eight games is <laughs> nine sixteens and an eight, and that averages to, like, 14 point something. Right. So, like, 15 makes sense, you know, like, in expressing that <laughs> idea. He has Carson at 542 attempts. I don't know if you remember this. I was doing a little game during the 2017 season mm-hmm. where I was constantly tracking Carson Wentz's attempts because, lest we forget, in his rookie year, playing 16 games, Carson Wentz attempted 607 passes, yeah. which was like second most for any rookie quarterback ever. I think it was only below luck, if memory serves. Yeah. So, 542 on a 15-game season is very close to another 600 pass attempt season which i would not argue at this point in the fourth year of carson's career with his second contract is bad but it is very interesting for me to think about load management how early in games with leads are you going to take carson out and put nate nate sudfeld in oh man you just you just brought up a point that is going to be so annoying during the season eagles are up 17 points in the fourth quarter why is carson Carson winning the game (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think let's not forget i would say cautiously because of the 2017 season though garrett blunt played very well whatever this is probably the best running back room carson wentz has ever had in philadelphia mm. and so we don't know the extent to which uh the running game might become a, a bigger portion of the process if they're effective runners and so i don't know if i expect carson to be on another 600 attempts over a 16 game season sort of a pace that's like 37 38 passes a game and i don't think carson's going to be up there i think the eagles are going to just have too many big leads to be honest for him to be up there which i think is good news so he has him at a 5.7 percent touchdown rate which is slightly higher than in 2018 below the crazy 7.5 touchdown percent the eagles like to throw the ball in the red zone right so i don't hate that uh, I'm taking the over on 31 touchdowns, just so we're official. You're taking the over? Over on 31 touchdowns? Yeah. The Eagles like to throw the ball in the red zone. I mean, he had 33, and it was it 33 in 2017? 33 and 13 Over oh, 13 games. Mm. Oh, 31 is a lot, Mike. <laughs> it's two touchdowns a game. Coward. Yes, okay, I'll take it. Okay. Over. 
All right, Ben's taking the over on that. Let's talk about the running back. You call me a coward. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You can get anybody to do anything with that. So let's talk about the running back room that you alluded to before we go to break here. Miles Sanders, 733 yards, five touchdowns is Mike Clay's projection. Let's make it a nice and clean 700 yards and five touchdowns. For Jordan Howard, let's go 600 yards and five touchdowns. So that's 1,300 total yards between just the two of them, 10 touchdowns combined. Obviously, Darren Sproles could be a wild card in this whole thing, but leaving him out since he hasn't signed with anybody. I got to say, I think it's a little high. I think Corey Clement gets more than the 24 carries and nine catches he's rejected here. Yeah, the only one that I looked at where I was like, whoa, was Corey Clement with one touchdown. Right. (laughs) And 24 touch, like I think he had like total 40 touches with the runs or with the passes included. What was it? 24 and nine, so 33 touches total. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I don't know. About I think that. he's gonna get more. I do yeah. think he's gonna get more than that. I think that, it's, and but this also is going off of like him having one really good game in the Super Bowl, and us just assuming he's gonna be a big part of the offense. But he's he's 100 making the team because of special teams contributions, and then they're running back by committee. They want to involve three people in the backfield. So I think he's going to get more touches. Yeah, I agree. And Boston Scott, zero touches for your boy. So yeah, I know you take up for that. It's devastating. Somehow I will survive. We're praying for you. So the, the interesting part about this one for me, just to show how it evolved for Clay, he had Howard at over 800 yards rushing before they drafted Sanders. So really, I think the first thing that you have to predict is who has more carries than the other. Because if it's the opposite of the right. projection here for the carries, I think Howard hits over 600 and Sanders goes under 700. Touchdowns for running backs, obviously being a weird one too, because it's more about the opportunity and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either of Sanders or Howard are going to be gigantic game breakers that they're just going to rip off a, t- a ton of explosive runs. At least that's how I see them right now. I think everybody knows I'm a little bit lower on Howard and, and Sanders than probably a lot of people in Philadelphia would appreciate. But let's attack hello. that question first. <laughs> yeah, hello, Ben. Who has more carries in 2019? Because I think that tells us where we're going with our over or unders for both of them. Oh, man. I think it's Howard. <sighs> I really do I think, think it's – and I think Howard gets more snaps too. Yeah, I think Howard outsnaps him. Yeah. And like that's the thing is like we have Miles Sanders right now with more rushing attempts, significantly more targets, which targets make sense. I mean does it because is he going to be on the field that much on third down because of the pass pro issues? Howard's so much well, cleaner there. Here's here's my thing. If, 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 as we believe Jordan Howard gets more rushing attempts, you still have to find a way to incorporate Miles Sanders. And Jordan Howard, despite – the fact that every offseason this is said is <laughs> not getting better as a receiver. It's just not happening. It's just not, yeah. He's not. And, and, and he's not even a guy that you want as a receiver because he's not regularly making the first guy miss anyway. And so right. Sanders makes a lot more sense in terms of getting the receiving touches. Corey Clemens is, is going to be also, I think, a big part of the receiving game. And he's your pass protection guy, so that's good. I do think Howard... Oh, but if Miles Sanders is good, oh, it's devastating. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. like, like, like. Listen, they invested a what, like, conditional fifth? I think it was in Howard, conditional sixth. Yeah, if you're talking about value with the capital yeah. that they used to acquire them, they definitely right. put more into Sanders. Also, his rookie year, also very inexperienced. That's what gives me some. Also, thoughts. not participating in training camp because he is injured. Right. It's more like Philadelphia seventy six or Eagles. Um. Yeah. So, so I think it's Jordan Howard <laughs> who's going to run the football more. Yeah, we're just going to steamroll right past that. Um, I think Howard gets more rushes. I still think Sanders is a big part of the offense. And we could be in a situation where, like, by the end of the year, like with Dallas Goddard, right? Like, rookie, offensive weapon, second round pick, 
behind Zach Ertz, but like when he made the when he made was on the field, he made positive contributions, so he fought his way into more playing time. We could be in a similar situation with Sanders, where like Howard was significantly outsnapped him to start the year, but as the year goes on, Sanders will will get better, will continue to earn more and more reps, and then by the end of the year. You know, if you had taken it as a 16 game sample, Sanders would have outsnapped Howard. But because of that early stint where, like, you know, Sanders was still getting back to health, he was still incorporating into the offense, whatever, uh, you know, Howard still ends up with a better season touch total. Here, here's, I want to ask you this 1,509 total rushing yards for the Philadelphia Eagles projected by Mike. If you had to guess right now without looking, Doug Peterson, this will be his fourth season. Where would 1,509 rushing yards rank in his? four seasons with the Eagles in terms of how much would it rank first it's last because that's that's what that's almost 100 yards a game you gotta take scrambles out of this Ben you gotta take it I've been bamboozled you gotta take scrambles out of this somehow <laughs> oh true 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 true. okay yeah. yeah okay right so with 209 rushing yards for the scrambles not included yeah then it would be third out of the four. Oh, okay 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 It'd be third right. out of the four right. that's closer yes the Eagles in 2018 had a total of 1,570 rushing yards with scrambles included. If you include scrambles on Mike K, they're around 1,700 for yeah. 2019. Oh, okay. They were at 1,800 uh, in 2016, and they were over 2,000 for 2017 when they won the Super Bowl. I totally forgot about the Ajayi Blunt dynamic. If we're at 17 flat for the over-under, 1,700 for total rushing yards, including scrambles, mm. I think the Eagles come in over that. Okay. I do. I think they'll be closer to 2,000. Okay, so we're taking the over on the total rushing yards. Do, who do you think hits their over? Is it Sanders or Howard? Don't worry about touchdowns. Touchdowns are stupid. Like I said, they're all opportunity-based for running yeah. backs. I think I think Jordan Howard. We're expecting Jordan Howard to get more touches than Sanders, yep. so I think clearly he's going to take the over on his spot. And I would expect under for Sanders. I am just generally worried about Sanders to start the year. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't go underreported because, like, we had nothing else to talk about, but Sanders missing training camp is a big deal. I agree. Especially with, like, a hamstring. We know how bad nagging hamstrings can be. Shout out to Nell Pumphrey. And you make a great point with the Goddard thing, too. Like, Goddard was healthy through training camp in his rookie season. Doesn't have any of those other things working against him. Didn't see over 50% of the snaps for a stretch for a consecutive game until the Giants game. He ended up going, ending ending the season with six straight games over 50% of the snaps. So if Sanders does come Mm -hmm. on, I think it's later on in the season a la Goddard, right. as you mentioned. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think that, that might make sense as a framework for how the Eagles incorporate their rookies, which transition to wide receiver right now, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Which we're going to get to after the break because we are not going to no, get to defense right on this I'm show. I'm going to keep talking about it so <laughs> I'm not going to give you any space to put this break in. I'm just going to talk really fast about Arcega-Whiteside with no space at all, just not even going to breathe, and then you're not even going to be able to go to break. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And we are back here on the Kiss okay, and so Solar. Okay, so you're going to take all inside. Here on SP Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, we're talking prop bets. We were going to do offense and defense, but we ended up talking about Carson Wentz for 20 minutes. We've already done the quarterback position. We did the running back position. Let's talk wide receivers and tight ends for the second part of this show. Wide receivers, man. You were you wanted to bring up J.J. Arstega-Whiteside. You're chomping at the bit. So what did you want to say about him? Or are you just trolling me, trying not to get to the break? 
if you can find Mike Clay's two receiving touchdowns for J.J. Single-Whiteside at some illegal offshore Turkish sports book, <laughs> smash the over. Smash it. Smash it. Because this guy's going to get a target. Like, he's going to get three targets mm. a game for the first five, six games of the season in the red zone. Which, like, yeah. that's not even accurate. Because you'd have to be in the red zone a lot. But he's going to get, like, they, he's going to be integrated into the offense, starting with the red zone, right. and then an umbrella and balloon out from there. He's going to be, like, late career Jerome Bettis. Like, he's going to have, like, remember when Bettis would have, like, four carries for five yards and three touchdowns? Like, that's kind of, like, the same feeling with J.J. It's all about opportunity in the red zone for touchdowns, and that's going to be where they start right. with him. I agree. Yeah, and let's not forget, like, our Sega Whiteside was 14... Receiving touchdowns yep. last uh, in, in NCAA football last year, which is a tremendous number for a college yep. player. Especially at Stanford, where they don't pass until they absolutely have to. Dominant player in the red zone, unbelievable success rate on jump balls. We, and, and like if that doesn't translate, okay. But we expect it to, because it's really high-quality play against NFL competition that he did it against. So yep. our single white side, I, you expect him to get more targets in the red zone. It's very curious. He's expected to get exactly half of the targets that Nelson Aguilar does. A little bit less than half of the receptions, a little bit more than half of the yards, and then two touchdowns to Aguilar's three. Man, I can talk myself into our Sega-Whiteside just flat out outproducing Nelson Aguilar. Is Aguilar going to take a back seat to, and we can kind of extrapolate this out to tight end too, because Zach Hurts takes a ton of his snaps at, at, the, at the slot. We think of him as a wide right. receiver most of the time. Is he... Is it going to – and Elliot Chris brought this point up when I talked with him for Fireside Chats, kind of previewing the outlook for the Eagles. Is Aguilar going to take a step back in, into the into the shadows as Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz? They have 12 personnel, but it's spread. It doesn't look like 12 personnel. And then also, is that going to impact him in the red zone with J.J. Arcego-Whiteside? Is he going to end up getting mm -hmm. more snaps as they try to develop him, especially in the second half of the season? Like, I'm fascinated to see because those projections between Aguilar and Whiteside are, are so tight for Clay. And I don't necessarily right. think he's wrong. And you know I'm an Aguilar guy. But just seeing the way that the, that it, there is an obvious path for J.J. to get production that rivals Aguilar, in my opinion. Right. And it comes back down to, and you made this point really well, what personnel gels the best, integrates the best on the field. Because you, you're you returning Alshon and Ertz, who are going to stay on the field for 95% of your offensive snaps, right? So right. there you go. Yep. But then it's first year Deshaun Jackson – First year, uh, J.J. Sickle-Whiteside. Second year, Dallas Goddard. But Goddard, many believe, including us, as we, you know, we were kind of ahead of this train a little bit, has yeah. earned his his role <laughs> in terms of receiving the football on the offense. Okay, so you've got to you've got to figure that all out. And I don't want to say the the odd man out is Nelson Aguilar, but among the three returners, Alshon Ertz and Aguilar, man, you want to keep Alshon and Ertz on the field, Nelly. You know, a little bit. And and I made this point uh, during the season last year when I talked about the fact that I don't think that the, picking up the fifth-year option for Nelson Aguilar was a good idea. Everybody's got their big, you know, Nelson Aguilar, like, you know, he had his breakout year in 2017. You know, Eagles won the Super Bowl. He had significantly, uh, you know, better catch rate, and he is turning out more yards per catch, and he had eight touchdowns, and that was great. But because, as you and I know, touchdowns lie to you. Touchdowns are a regression number. Touchdowns are just, you know, they're not sticky. Aguilar had basically the same season not exactly but he had really close to the same season 
in 2018 as he had in 2017, just minus the touchdowns. And everybody's tune on him changed pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, I just don't know. Like Aguilar was it was 97 targets, 64 receptions in 2018, 736 yards. Those numbers are, are as close as you're going to get to his 2017 numbers. Two more targets, two more receptions, about 28 less yards. I mean, that's right mm-hmm. there. Catch rate slightly increased. You know, mm-hmm. yards per game, 48 versus 46. I mean, like, you know, he's very similar in production. That right there, 750 so receiving yards, you know, uh, 95 targets a game. So that's basically, you know, about six targets a game flat. That's probably Aguilar's ceiling. Like, that's probably just right. what he is. Yeah. Which, as your wide receiver three, swell, sick. That I ain't got no worries. But that's a lot easier of a sell at wide receiver three when he's not taking targets away from potentially our single white side and from Dallas Goddard. And that's the thing is that, you know, okay, so so Clay's got Zach Ertz with more targets than Alshon Jeffrey. That's fine. I don't care. You know what I mean? Probably. Sure. Why not? Alshon with more yards than Zach Ertz. Yeah, probably. Same touchdowns. Sure. Why not? Like the, the, the top guys, screw it. I don't care. Right. doesn't matter. Yeah. Aguilar, our single white side and Dallas Goddard is where this gets interesting because yeah. there is... I like I like I don't know this for a fact. I'm just kind of saying things out loud. There is a correct way to divvy up targets among those three, and it's going to take experimentation and finicking and to figure it out. And that's why it comes back to what personnel can you get on the field and just be effective in. And that's why like the twelve personnel thing is so interesting because of what it allowed you to do in the running game, what it allowed you to do when you were in hurry up, no huddle offense. That's where Goddard gets an edge over guys like Aguilar and Whiteside. It's because with both him and Ertz on the field, you have the option to go four wide, two wide, and anywhere in between. That's your whole playbook, baby. Four wide, two wide, and then your three wide sets also, you know, with Goddard in line and Ertz out, out flexed out. Listen, yeah. man, that's that's really, really good stuff. So what about this from Goddard? Because we can kind of put these three together before we talk about some of the other guys. But Nelson Aguilar's projected 410 yards. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside's projected at 224. We've already talked about the possibility for them to have similar production, the path for J.J. for, for more snaps. Dallas Goddard is projected at 371 yards. That's uh, 371 yards and four touchdowns. That's less than Goddard had last year if the 75-yard touchdown counted. And he didn't start getting an uptick in snaps until late in the season. Which, But this is, this is, this is, and I might write about this. This is what we're trying to tell people. Right. Like, like we heard the conductors of the Dallas Goddard train, but right. there's only so many positions and there's only so many snaps. And like, <laughs> if this team did not get to Sean Jackson free agency, draft Jake Archer, take a white side, and not move Nelson Aguilar via trade, then yeah, I'd be there. Let's get it, brother. Like, here we go. Dallas Goddard, yippee ki Yeah. But there's a lot of receivers on this team. And that's kind of why I wanted to keep it with those three because they're all in a similar situation, kind of fighting for the same piece of the pie, even though they're 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 different types of guys. Who do you think out of those three, if you had to call it right now, who has the most receiving yards? No, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's only football, Ben. The five percent chance that Nelson Aguilar gets traded at the deadline is just like mm. lurking over my head. I think he's wow, yeah. if they're all there for sixteen games, it's probably Aguilar. I okay. I'm gonna say Aguilar. I would say mm. it's forty five percent chance Aguilar. 35% chance Dallas Goddard, 20% chance J.J. Arcega Whiteside. I'm going to be not a coward. I'm not going to put any percentages on it. I'm going to say it's Dallas Goddard. <laughs> nah. I, would love I am the conductor of this Goddard. train. 
Not you, Ben. I am now the captain. No, but here's the great thing, Mike. If Dallas Goddard is super productive year two, you know, he produces the way we want him to, and he he breaks out, as everybody expects, and the Eagles have a crazy 12 personnel set, we were right because this is what we wanted from the team. But if he doesn't, then I was also right because I predicted (laughs) that they wouldn't increase his snaps that much in year two. So let's go quickly through these last two guys. Here's what I want to know at wide receiver. Alshon Jeffrey has two years over 1,000 yards. He's gone four years without one, albeit only one fully healthy season. So that kind of messes with things. Last year, 843 yards in 13 games. So he was on pace for 1,000 if he had played 16. Clay has him projected at 965 yards, eight touchdowns. Let's just juice it up to 1,000 over or under for Alshon Jeffrey, 1,000 yards. Under. I just I, I just don't want to predict any of the Eagles receivers. Ha- any receiver slash tight end has over a thousand. There's just too many mouths to feed. I would agree with that as well. All right. So yeah. Deshaun Jackson, four straight years, four touchdowns or less. So as much as we like to talk about his big playability, and he's seen some great yards per catch numbers, he's typically targeted deeper down the field. If we're talking about average depth of target, also known as a dot, but are you buying over 800 yards and over five touchdowns or are you under? Because I think there's going to be some volatility. There will be games where he doesn't do as much and we're going to hear about it on Twitter. But I talked about the big time throw percentage with Carson Wentz before. I see it taking a step closer towards the 2017 year. And Deshaun Jackson is going to be a major benefactor of that, especially if you start to see Nelson Aguilar, who got a lot of those deep targets in 2017, take a step back in the offense. So I'm going to take the over on both for 850 yards and seven touchdowns is my projection for Deshaun Jackson. Healthy. Healthy. Oh. He's your splash play guy. I'm hoping he takes – now, they have to follow my instructions, so Mike Rowe, listen closely. I'm hoping he takes around 30% of his snaps from the slot. I've charted this out before, written it up for BGN, but in the last two years, 74% of Deshaun's explosive plays of 20 yards or Uh more have come from a reduced split, not a plus split, where he's outside the numbers. The Eagles should utilize him more from those alignments, get him screaming out of safety in the middle of the field, and really unlock what he can do for this offense. Ben, what about you? That's healthy, man. I'm under for for Jeffrey, and I think that goes to I think that ticks over to Deshaun, and I think Zach Ertz doesn't get as much either. Oh wow, that that explain that one to me. I mean, honestly, for Zach Ertz, how can you duplicate in this offense that we've talked about so much? 128 targets, 93 receptions, and 940 yards as Clay has him projected for. He, I think he's going to be an 80 catch guy. Well, see, here's my, here's my thing: is that I would argue that more so than any other player, any anybody listed receiver or tight end. Ertz is fundamental to the passing offense. Like Ertz's yeah. targets are what the offense is built around. Yeah, no, I'm 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 taking him down only 13 receptions. 80 80 catches is nothing to sneeze at in this offense. You know what I mean? He's still going to get 100 right. targets plus. I mean, the the I have to take from somewhere to give to Deshaun to make this work. Right, and that's that's we my can't thing. Throw is I, for don't think, I don't think Deshaun's going to be a target hog. I really don't. I, I don't think, think he's going to be a target. Be... I think he's going to be a splash play hog. And that's when it's good, what's going to get him to where he needs to be. Okay. I feel much, I feel comfortable with saying he's going to stay around 800 and he's going to, uh, five touchdowns, that makes sense to me. Jeffrey, so you're, Ertz, you're, no, come on. You got to be over or under. You got to be over or under because that's the over or under. 805 and 5? 805 and 5 is what the projected line is at for Clay. I, my, my gut says under, under. Under, under? Oof. Yeah. Ben doesn't I mean, like he, explosive plays. Oh man, he's only been under 800 four times in his career, but three of those four have been these recent years. But then again, those were all Washington and Tampa years. God be with him. And he was also missing games. Right, okay. exactly. Over, under. 
over for yards, under for touchdowns. So like eight fifty and four. Yeah, I and I said this. I said this. It, it, you know, when we we're talking about the other guys, Alshon, Ertz, Deshaun, they all feel very right for me. They all feel very comfortable. I think they all make sense. I think everybody would be happy with that. If anything, I think I, I think Alshon gets slightly less targets than uh, than Mike has. But generally, those three are the ones I, I feel. I agree. Very comfortable with those. It's Aguilar, Sega Whiteside, and and Goddard. That's interesting. Okay. So that is going to do it for our offensive no, preview for No, we have one more. Do we? Over, under, Jake Elliott, 85% field goal. Hey, he's on the list. So career, 83.9 field goal percentage in 2017, and then 83.9 again in 2018. He is 26 for 31 in both of those seasons. But fascinating, Mike. We have to discuss why. Mike Clay has him at 27 of 32, hmm, attempting one more field goal this season. What could this be? But that would be 85%. Yeah. So do you think he does it? Break 85 for the first time in his career. Mike, this matters. I'm going to go under on field goal attempts. I think he goes under 30 field goal attempts because we're not counting. Coward. No, but also, but also, I think he goes under 85%. Under 85? Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Kiss and Soul Life show. <laughs> Goodbye forever. Review. The end. We appreciate you stopping by for listening to the Kiss and Solak show. I'm not sure Ben's going to talk to me for the rest of the show. Uh, keep keep Under an eye. 85. You heretic. Say, say goodbye. Don't say goodbye to me. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners, Ben. Give them that courtesy at least. Thank you, as always, to 85% of you for listening to the Kiss and Solak show. We hope you've gotten at least 85% of the way through the podcast, which you clearly have because you are at the end. If you'd like to leave a rating, review, or subscription, please go ahead and leave an 85, excuse me, a five-star review. Uh, when you leave, when you leave your review or eight, uh, five star rating, and then leave your review as well. Compose. Uh, if you have any thoughts on some of these props, again, and this is the plug, Mike Clay, which is at Mike Clay NFL. Yep, and that's with a C, not a K. That's the spot. And if you use the hashtag Clay Projections in the Twitter search, you can find all of his sheets projecting the usage of all thirty-two NFL teams. Go scroll through those, find the Philadelphia Eagles one, and ask us if you have any other questions. For example, uh, Wendell Smallwood is getting more than zero carries, uh, Mike Clay for Jackson. So, <laughs> as our fans love under. to do, talk to us about Wendell Smallwood, baby. Um, but be the under. Go check that out. If you have any questions, any takes on some uh, plus minuses, on some over-unders, I'd especially like to hear where you all fall on Aguilar, Arcega Whiteside, and Goddard. Make sure you hit us up. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. Solak is S-O-L-A-K. He's on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Mike, what, what are you doing later this week? Uh, we got BGN Radio dropping into the feed. We'll have another QB Sco show for you as well. I think Mark's back from vacation. Everyone is on vacation right now, so it's kind of hard for me to kind of yeah, nail this down. Why. Including you, Ben. This is your fault. But yeah, we got shows coming for you, as always. It's not dead season. It's content season here at BGN. You know why? Because we all we got... We all we need. <laughs> this is terrible. Fly, Eagles, fly. B-G-N.